Welcome back to the Lauren Valor Podcast. I am your host, Justin Watson, and I am joined once again by award-winning independent filmmaker and my friend, Sam Platiski. Hello. And uh, author of science fiction, fantasy, zombie apocalypse, uh, and several other things. And germane to note for this podcast, veteran Navy SEAL officer, Mike Massa. Hey, guys. All right. So we were, I think we're all in a good place leaving episode two, coming into episode three tonight. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of open it up at this point. Uh, Sam, why don't you go ahead and kind of lead off and talk about what kind of stood out to you on this episode? So this was the episode that like I was in I, when I said like I'm in for this yeah. one, episode three. And part of it was because in episode one and two, you, you don't know what's in his head or not. And other people don't know what's in his head or not. So everything looks really bad for him. He looks like he's very guilty. And in this, they just say like, this is, this is all happening. It's all happening right now, you know, with the, uh, the attempt on his life and the reporter's life. And so the reporter knows it's real. He knows it's real. And I have mixed feelings about that definitiveness, but I'm also, you know, glad that, you know, other people are seeing just not, not just him are seeing what's going on. So the, 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 uh, the whole thing starts to open up in this one. So that's like, that was the main, I think, point from the episode that I, from what I can see. Yeah, I agree with you. When he gets shot at in front of Katie, I, I think that's actually a relief uh, at this point because you can just get behind Reese for the rest of the adventure. Uh, side note, a uh, little bit of fun fact here. Uh, for those who may not know, that's actually Jack Carr who tries to kill his main character. That's the author uh, who shows up looking like a, a vet, looking like a, a whole operator on the streets. Um, no. coming in to shoot his own main character. So that was that I thought that was fun. Um, so Mike, what's uh what's something that stood out to you about this episode that really kind of hit you? You know, frogmen hate posers and frogmen <laughs> hate uh LARPers, especially you know, spec ops LARPers and blowhards. And the the main bad guy we've met so far now, Horn, who and who starts the episode. Uh, is all of those things and he they crafted a really excellent asshole for us all to hate god isn't doesn't he just have the most punchable face oh um, man yeah, i mean no it's a pretty nice... want to shoot <laughs> i love uh i i agree with you that sequence is so perfectly mapped out because um again while not a special operations veteran i have trained room clearing and mm -hmm. Watching it, it's like okay, that you're you're room clearing, but the the point that really is telling to me and his character is after they're all done, and he yells at one of his private security contractors who's been training with him because the security contractor was being nice and saying, "Oh no, no, you take the room," and he was like, "No, I want to feel like it's real. I need verisimilitude." And it's like, well, Horn, it's not real. <laughs> it's well, not I real. Mean, but... <laughs> he's tracking fractions of a second, and I think he had himself telemetered. Yep. For yep. uh, for BP and, and all the rest of the, the metrics, I'm like, really, really, <laughs> I really hope you're not going to say that this is supposed to be some sort of like legit. You know, I thought I thought they were going to not having read all the books yet. I thought they're going to go. This could be maybe like some sort of black site training, <laughs> you know. But but it was exactly it was perfect that this guy is going to be the character he's going to be. So it was actually well cast and well acted. Yeah, and uh, not to put words in your mouth, Mike, but I think. I think it's fair to say that if you're LARPing uh, being a medieval knight or a fantasy wizard, that's absolutely fine. And we don't actually judge you for that. It's LARPing as if you're a commando <laughs> that gets a little, little cringy. <laughs> oh, it, watching this character on screen, 
made the same rage and bile bubble <laughs> that I got when I saw that photograph of Jeffrey Epstein wearing choker whites in a trident at the oh, Halloween party. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Hashtag that. Epstein didn't kill himself. Yeah, that too. Do <laughs> um, you guys think that they're just like too, too unlikable and too bad, the bad guys, at this point? Because, I mean, there there are bad characters that aren't so clearly bad. But like these guys, in this episode specifically, Horn and uh, Sean Gunn, I forget the character, Saul Agnon. Saul Agnon. They're so... Craglin. This is the episode so, where Star-Lord kills Craglin. There you yeah. go. <laughs> it is. But they're so like blatantly bad. I mean, like... Yeah. I don't know. I, but I feel like that's... Uh, I'll let you chime in too, Mike. I didn't mean to cut you off. I feel like that's realistic to life, that of the people who do things in life, some people are doing bad things because they they have good motivations, but their judgment or character is so weak that they're still doing bad things. And other people are just selfish and douchey. They don't really need another excuse for what they're doing besides, I love my status and I'm going to pretentiously bullshit about sushi at my cocktail party and not even think about how empty my life is. I, I don't think that character regards his life as empty. He has overweighted the trappings and uh, significant. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess because a lot of private military contractors and higher end reads more expensive private security firms have a lot of former military. In them. So here's a guy that's never actually done anything for real that has all these other people kissing his butt who do have a real track record. So it's going to inflate his sense of ego and reinforce his already monstrous ego. So, yeah. 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 I, I bought it. And the ink, the roids, all of it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we get to um, a, a scene later on where he's talking about, uh, he's criticizing Gwyneth Paltrow for her particular brand of health shake as if he's not being a douche himself, but <laughs> that's from another, that's from another episode. Um yeah, no, I agree. He's set up so, like, you know, this is no spoiler. You know Reese is going to kill this guy, and you know it's going to feel pretty good <laughs> when he does. Uh, but but what this episode is focused on is Reese getting at that minion, you know, the, the skinny little guy who, again, I think is a little more palatable just because he knows what he is. He's a douchey, amoral salesman um, at the highest level of his game. I don't like him, but he's a lot more... Um, and I'm, I'm fine with Reese killing him, but I found him a little, a lot more fun to watch than, than Horn. Horn, I was to a lesser extent, Mike, I'm with you where I'm like, you fucking want to be, you know, like I cannot yeah. stand you. Um, I, mean, I, you know, I was like, oh, you're a douche, but you're kind of funny. <laughs> in, in between those things, they touch on some trade craft, you know, Reese does some more seal stuff. He talks more about uh, sort of data security and, you know, using phones a certain way and, uh, mm -hmm. He pays cash for a, a really bad hotel room or motel room. So they, they continue to, to give a reasonable amount of lip service to that, to that reality. And it adds enough. It's inadequate, but it adds enough uh, to keep the flavor on the right side of suspension of disbelief. So I appreciated yeah. that. Did that all seem legit to you, Sam? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't think twice about it, you know. Okay. It just seemed um, like so and I, and, and I like that. I like that now. Katie is fully on. His, well, she may not be fully on his side, 
but she completely believes now mm-hmm. having narrowly missed been uh, missed getting assassinated. So I like that too. Well, yeah, there's a, another fun little uh, another fun little bit bit of trivia. Something got cut uh, when they leave the shooting. Is that Reese? There's a scene that's deleted. Maybe it'll end up in some special feature somewhere where Reese actually goes through looking for the specific truck he can hotwire because that wasn't like a second vehicle he had stashed. He stole that truck. Um, so they oh, actually in the, in the parking garage. Yeah, in the parking garage. So they actually have a scene where he's going through looking for the specific vehicle that he and one of his schools has been trained how to actually steal properly. Um, I do like one thing, another small note on Katie. I enjoy that he pulls the, pulls the enemies, pulls a Jack Carr's weapon, hands it to her and says, you know how to use one of these. And she's like, yeah, give it to me. I like that. We're kind of over that moment that was mostly in the nineties, I think. And and still in the early two thousands where the heroin, not the drug, the, the female lead of a show thinks guns are icky and won't use them. Um, like, I'm really glad we're over that. I'm glad she had the sense to be like, yeah, I, th- I think having a gun on me would be useful right now. Thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> um, I, I always appreciate that bit of common sense when I see it. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So, and then uh, the, the one thing I will say about the Tradecraft too, and we talked about this a little before getting on the air, but I did think it was funny that uh, Jack Carr, the hitman, actually had his targeting packet in his car <laughs> with him. Because uh, like... Hey, I have this big file folder about the guy I want to kill. Like, well, why do you have that file folder? I, uh, you know, no reason. I'm a fan. <laughs> to move the plot forward. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I get it. So the story can happen. But it was <laughs> that is something I actually thought about while watching it. So, you know, if that, you that, if you accept the the the, I, the concept that horns mercenary stroke PMCs are aren't really that good, that they're actually pretty douchey, just like he is then you can see one of them making that kind of rookie mistake or yeah. have the extraordinary hubris that, of course, a, not only are they going to make the hit, but they're not going to get stopped by cops, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, because yeah, that's the thing, too. It's like even if you succeed, he doesn't get a chance to fight back, which, you know, maybe if your tradecraft is better, that's exactly what would have happened. Nobody's bulletproof. Um, there's, a really, it's, there's a really silly uh, TV series called Barry about a, a, a hitman that wants to enter the theater, enter Hollywood. You ever heard of it? I haven't. Bill Hader. Yeah, yeah. Bill Hader plays the hitman. Yeah. And there are and the there are, there are there are sequences where he does a hit in this situational comedy that are a hundred percent better tradecraft than happens in that scene. <laughs> well, but like you said, maybe maybe you are dealing with you know, Horn and Agnon are kind of reliant on the, the junior varsity, so to speak, uh, for hitmen. Um so, uh, uh, so we get, um, you know, Reese is going through, uh, doing his trade craft. We get in this episode, I think, uh, the most disturbing iteration of the Starling smashing into the window scene that we're going to get in the whole series. With, um, we're pretty sure this isn't the real one because the rain starts, the Starling hits, and then you get a flood, a veritable armada of Starlings ramming into the glass. Uh, and then his wife talking to him with his daughter's voice saying, daddy, she's going to be okay. So that they're, they're playing that theme, you know, they're, they're keeping that thread of continuity. And I, I found that, I found that unsettling that, that actually did unsettle me pretty well. I thought that was pretty effective. Oh, yeah. It, it's all going on in his head. Yeah. And his head is not a friendly place to be. Yeah. Um, even though we know the bad guys are real, he's still got issues. Yeah. Just because when you're, if you're paranoid and they're coming after you, you're justified, but not just that he still has, several different flavors of very genuine trauma 
on top of the, the other big reveal we're going to get shortly. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, and in terms of that big reveal, this was actually um, talking about how Katie's character fluctuates between untrustworthy and despicable and uh, somewhat noble and likable. I do like that in this one, she gets that key piece of information that's going to change Reese's life. You have a brain tumor um, that that they knew about. Yeah, that that like we find out, I think it's this episode we find out his chain of command knew there was a brain tumor, you know, like that that was not news to them, but it is news to Reese. Or maybe that's is that later on? I think that's episode four. All okay. he knows is that he has a tumor. Mm -hmm. And that location the tumor has certain physiological and neurological effects. Yeah. I think yeah. that's all she tells him. Uh yeah. quick flashback, by the way. I watched this uh the second time with a nurse practitioner and when the medical professional took the bribe to hand over the personal data she wanted to leap through the tv and strangle that character not katie but the nurse that hands over the data she yeah. was furious <laughs> furious it was fun to watch naturally ludicrously unethical oh, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen but that really deeply offended her like she wanted to good for her Sounds like a good person. Oh, American government betraying seals? Yawn. Wait, she did what? Now it's war. Motherfucker. I mean, we all kind of expect Uncle Sam to act that way, don't we? <laughs> it's sad, but is anyone really shocked? You know? um, you live long enough, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, oh, uh, another note. So Riley Keough is his wife is actually getting way more screen time than I expected. Because uh, I will say in the book, like, you you don't actually have a scene with them that's not a memory um, in the book. You actually don't get to see them. You, the only time you see them in real time from the POV of the characters when they're already dead uh, in the book. So um, I think she's doing a good job. And I think it's another fun little note. Uh, that James Reese is so goddamn all-American that he married Elvis Presley's granddaughter, because um, that's who that actress is, Riley Keough. Really? Yeah, she's Elvis okay. Elvis's granddaughter. Um, so I did, in, not, in the, I did not know that. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. And a few episodes, we get too. to hear her singing, and there's a reason it sounds good. Um, um, and I do like the tension between Ben, uh, and it's not it's not a huge blown out thing, but I like the tension between Ben and Reese over the reporter. You know, that, that Ben has a very realistic reaction to, wait a minute, you're talking to a reporter? What the fuck, dude? Like, you know, who do we not trust in our community? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I agree. Um, and then Reese says, she's not a reporter, she's an asset. Like, yeah. I'm going to run this asset. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen guys fool themselves like they're going to control the relationship with the journalist. Uh, it's kind of a hoot. Yeah. yeah. You get no say over what they print. <laughs> you know, like it's it's yeah, it's one of the first things you learn. I, I did I pulled the the additional duty of public affairs officer because I pissed off my battalion commander and he thought it would be funny. Um, <laughs> on my second Iraq tour. And that was one of the first things I learned is like, yeah, once they know, once they hear it, once they see it, um, and some of them are so unethical they'll invent it, but the rest of them, once they hear it, once they see it, it's public knowledge, you know, like they're, they're going to report it. So, you know, you, you know, it was, it was um, to, to my battalion commander's credit at that time. He, he was very clear that no one could interview our NCOs unless we had a reporter whose last name actually was motherfucker. 
<laughs> it just would not happen. You know, don't even put them in front of them. <laughs> then, if you if you find a you know John motherfucker from the Wall Street <laughs> Journal, then you can put him in front of the sergeant major. But otherwise, no. Um, so cool. So we get to like so Sam as a fellow Marvel head. Um, we're seeing Star. We've been seeing Star Lord in this kind of uber serious role for a long time, and now we've got Kraglin. Uh, you know, Captain's got to teach stuff himself uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy, and both of them in kind of serious roles. Like, how did you react to seeing them in this new light? Like, was it does it something you enjoyed, or was it kind of off putting at first to see these two light characters kind of? Not, not for me. Really brutal. One of them, do- Star Lord, doing some really brutal shit to Kraglin. No, they're actors. No, that, that didn't bother me at all. Uh, I like. I think I messaged you like when I was watching the episode. I was like, I'm on episode three. I was like, Ah, Sean Gunn's in it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I like Sean Gunn. He's a good. Like he's a good guy, but he plays a good asshole too. You know. So yeah, good for him. Yeah. In that range. Uh, I yeah. enjoyed it. Like I, like I said, like I had no problem with his performance or anything. I just, he's so like you know. It's like Joffrey in Game of Thrones, you know? You don't, you're like, I want this motherfucker to get it, and he's going to get it eventually. And he does. <laughs> yeah. and, and much sooner than, like, you know, they don't draw it out. <laughs> they don't yeah. draw out anything, really, in the show. Mm-hmm. I, like, that surprised me. Even, mm-hmm. even what's his name? The uh, the guy we were talking about before, the uh, the one. The yeah. They, I mean, they, they don't draw it out too much, you know? Yeah. Spoilers. But, um, yeah. like, like you, you, he gets his revenge a lot, you know? Yeah. And it gets it good. <laughs> you know, it feels good. And I will say that that is something. So this is one thing. One of the reasons I'm probably pretty sweet on this show. Uh, uh, maybe I will sometimes forgive it some things I would be harder on another show is um, the things that made it from. There are a lot of things that made it from the book into the show that I can tell were important to Carr um, and that were that were good in the book and stayed good in the show. And one of those is that Craglin scene. Uh, they, they imported most of that wholesale. Now I think in the book, he maybe extracts him, then reinserts his reinserts him or he's, he's just because this is, and Mike, I'll let you comment on the trade graph a little bit. I had a little bit of question about just using the stereo system to overcome his screaming. Cause I was like, I, I mean, maybe that would work, but also, that seems pretty risky. <laughs> um, that, that, and, I, that's and not how good. I would do that if it I was going about this. reaction, right? Yeah. So I, I think that was the Hollywood piece. Yeah. Um, no, people scream really, really loudly. And if you have ever heard it, you never mistake it. Yeah. Uh, and also, if you hear a full-blown terror scream, it, it scrapes at your, at your head a little bit is – our bodies are programmed. I think our psyche is programmed to recognize ultimate distress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Princess Bride, right? Uh, the sound of ultimate suffering. <laughs> the sound exists, right? Um, but uh, you you would start by letting them scream and then covering it up with another sound. Um, yeah. Also, I mean, it was a good Hollywood scream, but... Total screams of terror and, and absolute pain uh, are almost like rabbits screaming. Yeah. It, it's it's unintelligible. Else. It isn't a ah. It's yeah. It's, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I can't think of a movie where that, they really I'll, have captured that though, Mike. Because I I I hear you on that note, never, but I I can't think of. Guy. 
well, and I've heard some great sound design. The, the sound design in Normandy and Saving Private Ryan was, I was not a veteran yet. I was actually in high school, but it was the, the sound design itself was so good that it was the first time I actually thought about the fact that I might get my ass shot off if I joined the army. Um, you know, had good sound design too. Yep. Yep. That's true too. Um, the only th issue, uh, not, not to get off onto a total tangent. The only issue I ever had with Black Hawk Down is those Rangers are all way too pretty. Um, and that, like, I know some of those guys, at least casually. Like, I got to meet quite a few of them, including oh, Master Sergeant. They're, they're, the actors are, han are too handsome. Yeah, the actors. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> well, you look at how they cast Band of Brothers. It's a bunch of good-looking guys in Easy Company and Band of Brothers, but they're also normal-looking dudes who are in good shape. And yeah. then they cast Black Hawk down and it looks like Orlando Bloom and Ewan McGregor <laughs> and, you know, uh, Jason Hartnett. I've met Master Sergeant Eversman and that's the only thing he bitched about to me about the movie was Josh, Hart J Josh Hartnett yeah. uh, being yeah, cast as him. <laughs> He's like, yeah, otherwise it's pretty good. They leave a lot out, but it's a movie. What do you want? <laughs> um, now, my brother, being a 10th Mountain Division veteran, had a lot more problems with the depiction of how Mogadishu went down in the movie. Not the book, but the movie. Um, but anyway, so we get to the tradecraft, and we agree that was kind of questionable. But um, I do think there's a certain efficiency you have to have when you're doing sets and you're shooting and you have a budget. Like, I mean, Sam, you you actually have experience with this. You've made several features at this point, you know. Um like I'm sure you have to make, you would love to have like, Oh, I have a set piece for everything in my mind. But sometimes yeah. even when you got a good budget, you got to make do. I, I have yet to have a good budget, but uh, <laughs> in my movies now you got to do, you got to make the best of what you have. Yeah. I also think, I also think that, you know, Reese is somewhat, you know, like he's, you know, he's professional, but he, he can be a little reckless with a lot of the stuff he does, mm -hmm. you know, and, it, and a lot of it is driven by his like, you know, emotions. He's, he's emotional about it. Like, yeah. especially in the book, we'll talk about episode four. But a lot of his like decisions are not like, you know, this is what the mission would be the best way to do it. From like my no knowledge of it, it's, you know, he's just doing it, man. Especially and next episode, especially episode four. You're, you're spot on, Sam. And I, in episode four, we're going to see that really clearly, too. Yeah. And he, get, he gets called out on, like, dude, this is not how you would do this. He goes, yeah, but that's not why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. If this isn't an op, you know, don't you get it? So we're we're almost getting set up for that. Um but uh, I, returning to where we were, I, yeah, I, I see that that interrogation scene was sufficiently credible. I like the, I like the, the uh, touch note of bringing along bone treats for the puppy dog so it wouldn't bark. And dog's yeah. like, oh, my buddy's getting tortured, but I've got fresh bone. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's why you don't get a lap dog. <laughs> uh, it was funny. We were watching that episode. And I remember my wife turning to me and being like. He's not going to kill the dog, is he? he he's not going to hurt the dog. And I'm like, uh, there wasn't a dog in the book. <laughs> um, but I don't think, I mean, they can have this guy torture people and even risk collateral damage, but I don't think they can have him kill a dog and if still you expect kill a people dog, to He wouldn't be a hero. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't, in writing and in, in movies, I think there's some pretty bright lines about not depicting, depicting, uh, realistic violence against cute animals or minor children. And where those things are hinted at or they happen slightly off of screen, it's because you need to identify a given character or group as the ultimate bad guy 
so that later on you're justified in doing ultimate bad guy things against them. Yeah. 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 So it makes sense that our good guy is not going to mm-hmm. uh, not going to threaten the dog. Although that would have been interesting. You know, we saw how that how well that worked in um, Silence of the Lambs, right? When the little puppy dog goes down the hole. <laughs> She's like, I don't know, mister. She's pretty bad hurt. And that guy's highly motivated to give her what she wants. <laughs> True. So, and I, in her I case, we can definitely understand. Or not. Yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to talk over you, Mike. What was that last? I don't I don't know if Saul Agnon had the character had enough soul. Would he would he risk the biscuit for his puppy dog if the dog was at risk of being injured by Reese? We never got that though. Reese did the smart thing, you know, gave the dog treats, and the dog's utterly indifferent to the fate of his owner. <laughs> Probably right. wasn't a very good owner. <laughs> Dogs, not. Dogs get it. Yeah, and and I do like that Saul Agnon breaks very easily because that's you know what you would expect yeah. of that yeah. dude. Like Reese doesn't have to do much. And and he went out. He by far has the best death of anybody in this whole series. Yeah, the I most mean, slip sliding away on heroin has got to be the least bad way to die. Oh, that, that. yeah. In that respect, I thought you meant the best, like the best death scene. I was uh, like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, he had, he had the easiest. Yeah, yeah. He had the best death in the sense of if I had to pick from amongst those different ways to die and death was not an option, yeah. then um, I would definitely choose, yeah, I'll OD on heroin because you just bliss out while you're briefly aware of it and then you're gone as opposed to other things that occur. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whew. yeah, no, I agree. A lot of them. Um, Last little nerdy military note. Um, they mentioned that the hitman was a mar- either Marsoc or Marine Raider. Uh, Marsoc. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get into this a little bit. So the, the SEALs in the show say it with a bit of like, oh, he's a Marsoc or a Raider or whatever the hell they're calling themselves these days. Oh, that's uh, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little bit of a older, older sibling to younger sibling there a little bit maybe. But um, I find Marine Raiders are kind of interesting to me because I, we, I did – I wouldn't say I worked with them because that would imply I went on a mission with them. I didn't. Uh, when I was a staff weenie, we had MARSOC in the region of Afghanistan, for which I was an operations officer. So I did liaise and coordinate with them a lot. That would be more accurate. Um, and they were all very motivated, very brave, very proficient uh, Marines. So I'm not throwing shade on them. But uh, one thing about the American military is our elite forces tend to be special mission units. Um, you don't use Navy SEALs as just hyper-trained infantry. Uh, they do actual special missions. They're not, you know, they're oh, not... You're, you're not ahead. supposed to. You're not True. supposed to. Anyway, likewise, cough, special... Cough, yeah, cough, cough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, likewise, Special Forces, the Green Berets, and likewise, the Rangers and CAG, what is popularly known as Delta Force. Marine Raiders are kind of a they're kind of in my mind and how i see them operate they're a rare example of us saying oh this is a more elite infantry unit because other armies do that other armies will just have this is a conventional unit but it's more elite you know like that how like in world war ii the eliteness or not of the waffen ss is largely dependent on what year you're talking about it and what particular unit of the waffen ss you're talking about but that idea of like, oh, we're going to have a conventional unit that is better than our other conventional units. I know the United States Army very much embraces the idea that our conventional combat units are largely interchangeable. 
in terms of their level of proficiency. Now, they may be focused on a particular region or mission, but we don't say the 82nd Airborne thinks they're better than other infantry divisions, but it is not policy of the United States Army that the 82nd Airborne Division is elite and the 10th Mountain Division or the 4th Infantry Division is not. Um, what is, isn't there a large army unit that rotates amongst its regiments or battalions the requirement to always have a certain amount ready to go within however many hours at, uh, is it Benning? Yeah, uh, well, it's actually at Bragg. Uh, and that's the 82nd Airborne, and it's the Global Reaction Force. So doesn't that group actually maintain a higher level of military proficiency because they always have to have a, a fairly large combined arms unit on short notice ready to go? Debatable. Uh, and they're not really combined arms. They're an airborne unit. They don't have uh, – the 82nd doesn't have its airloadable tanks anymore. Uh, it used to have a battalion of light tanks. Um, they do have their, they do have Apaches and things like that ready to support them, but they don't have any mechanized component. Um, they just have, they, they just have their light artillery and their, um, their infantry units and the supporting units to those, um, arguable. I think again, like my friends in the 82nd would say, fuck you, Justin, we absolutely are, um, <laughs> uh, more ready. Uh, I think you could debate it. Um, and I will say that people from the 82nd airborne division, rotate out to conventional, not conventional, 82nd Airborne is conventional, it's just Airborne, but they rotate to other divisions that are not the 82nd Airborne Division. You as a Navy SEAL never, I, I don't think you ever served as a SWO on a destroyer, you know, oh God, service no. warfare officer, uh, no, nor did no. you go join the Marines to be a Marine for a while. Um, no. You know, you, you were just a Navy SEAL. Likewise, our Special Forces soldiers generally stays in the special forces community once they go that route with some exceptions. I know we're closing in on half an hour. Quick comment. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the two seals chortling about uh, Marsoc being adorable newcomers to SOCOM is really just payback for Ed Harris's Marines killing all the seals in the rock with Nicholas <laughs> Cage. That's just payback. That's just, that's just payback. Poetic justice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Sam, any closing thoughts? Uh, again, this is the episode that like got me into it uh, more than the first two, and yeah, it just like it opened up, and then it just starts like steamrolling from like I think from this episode on, it just like goes yeah to the end. Yeah, so, no, I agree. Um, yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, the, the the momentum continues to build in this episode, and that was needed after a fairly long setup. This is good. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So I think we're closing in on it real quick. Uh, Sam, what's up in the world of narrow bridge film? Uh, uh, we've been at a bunch of festivals with my horror anthology tales from the narrow bridge on Thursday, August 4th at 11 PM. We're going to be playing the Gen Con film festival at Gen Con in Indianapolis. That should be a good time. If you're out there for Gen Con, or if you just live in Indiana, come on by, say hi. Uh, it should be a good screening. The movie's only an hour and 20 minutes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty good. I like it. So, come on. Ser seriously, when you get your signed copy of Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman's new Dragonlance book, I really want you to send me a picture of that. I, um, yeah, I, I hope I can. But, yeah, I'll talk to you about that later. Um, and, Mike, what's going on in the in your author life right now? What are you excited about? The I just got my copy of the Black Tide Rising uh, graphic novel. Oh, shit. Uh, Wait, written, what? Written by Chuck Dixon, uh, 
Jealous on a Cruise, uh, Smith and Brown. Good stuff. Pick up your copy. There it is. That's based on something you wrote? Sorry? What is that? I'm sorry. This is, I'm the, uh, this is the Black Tide Rising graphic novel, which is part of the Black Tide Rising series where I've written two novels with John Ringo, who created the universe. And this okay. is the beginning of the story in the graphic novel format, which uh, introduces some of the characters that I'm writing. Awesome. Sam, you and I should do a I'm review a, of a, that a, one. A, we should. I'm a huge nerd. I didn't know. It's great. Yeah, Sam and I are both huge comic book nerds. So, And Chuck Dixon is a name we know. Yeah, um, long time. Awesome. All right, well, that is all the time. Oh, links to all our work will be in the liner notes below. Uh, if you've enjoyed our content, please consider liking, subscribing, leaving us a comment for those algorithms or a five-star review on your podcast medium of choice. Uh, we're available on just about all of them. That's all the time we have for Lauren Valor tonight. I'll see you next time. And until then, keep up the fire.